short, so we're all running around this morning. We're out of order um, because of that. Some of you are watching the video. Good job. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope and pray that you do, um, take them out, open your phones to Titus chapter three. And it might take a moment to find Titus. It's not often preached or discussed. It's hidden towards the end of the New Testament behind the Timothys. So you go from big T's to middle T's to short T's, how I always remember it. Thessalonians, Timothys, Titus. You'll never forget. Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. I don't know if anyone's ever had this situation like I have before, but maybe you are, are needing a snack in the afternoon. And so you, you look through your wallet or you, you hit your, your keys and, and dig through your pockets and you find, I have 75 cents or I have a dollar. So you go to the vending machine and you look. You're thinking, Lord, I know I'm breaking my diet. Please forgive me. And Lord, I just want these Oreos. That's all. I don't ask for much. Or for me, I want a Coke. Nothing quenches my thirst like an ice cold Coca-Cola. And if it's in a bottle, that's the best. That's the best. Like the weight of my heart is through my stomach. I'm a simple guy. And what's worse than the desire and the need and the craving is you put that dollar in and you hit A3 and you watch the Oreos and the little thing spins and nothing comes out. Anyone ever had that happen? And in that moment, you, you obviously, you hit your knees and say, Lord, it's apparent to me that you don't want me to eat the Oreos. That's not what we do. We, we shake the machine or we do the lean, right? If I could just lean it forward, or some of you get really desperate and you, you find another dollar bill and you try to, have you ever um, tried to actually crisp it up and then you, you fold it in half thinking maybe it will take it this time. But what we find out is the machine's out of order and it only creates frustration and anger and disappointment because the desire that you have is not fulfilled by that which is broken. And we're gonna conclude our sermon series in Titus called Out of Order. And what Paul, the writer does is he tells Titus, I have put you in Crete to set in order everything that remains. So let's read Titus three today. Lord, give us order in our lives. Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But... When the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not according to the works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, 
He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, what a powerful, powerful reminder you have given us today of your salvation. Lord, we thank you that what we once were is not what we have to be because of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we who are broken can find order and restoration in the cross of Jesus. So Lord, fan aflame our hearts, set in order our minds that we might live in the strength of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I wanna give you three quick reminders this morning of God's grace and his hope for you and for me and for everyone else in this world. And it's very simple, live radically, remember who you are and rest in God's grace. Live radically, remember who you are and rest in God's grace. So here's our big idea this morning. I will never have, and you will never have order on the outside if you don't have order on the inside. If the machine's broken, it doesn't matter what you put into it. You're never gonna get what you want. You're never gonna get the Coke that you think is gonna satisfy your thirst. And what we want to do by nature is we know we are out of order and we want to put things in our life to fix what is eternally broken. And God says, stop, you're broken. Find the fix, his name is Jesus Christ. And the reality is this, we are all broken in some ways. You're either out of order by God's standard or you're out of order by the world's standard because the world doesn't understand those who are living for Christ. And I would rather live foolishly by this culture than out of order by God's desire for my life. So let's look at his holy word. Verse one, remember, remind them so who's them? God's word is written to those who are going to read his word, which is most often the church. And very literally, this is the church in Crete. So Paul is writing to Christ followers to live in a way that is different. So very simply, we are to live radically. Radical grace leads to reordered living. Radical grace leads to reordered living. Verse one, remind them. Who's them? The church. See, the church has a problem as Israel had the same problem. We have a bad memory, right? We forget God's promises. We forget that God has restored us and he has saved us and he has washed us and he has lavishly poured forth his spirit upon us. He has forgiven our sins. And Paul's reminding us to remember, remember these things. Look at verse two. Why can we remember these things? In chapter one, in the very first of this book, we are reminded in the hope of the eternal life that God, who cannot lie, has promised since the ages began. So Paul's going to tell us that we live radically, not because of what we have done, but because of what God has already done. He's already promised us salvation. When? Long before we even knew that God existed, before the ages began. And God cannot lie. 
So radical grace lives in us and now we live for Christ. You see, Paul knows nothing of self-righteousness. He knows nothing of self-righteousness. He doesn't say, do good because that's what God wants for your life. If you do good, God will love you. That's not what he says. Actually, he says that he will save us not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. But why this is so vitally important for our lives is because if, if there is no change outside of me, there has been no change inside of me. If God has changed us, radically by his grace, there will be a difference. Isn't that what Paul's about to say? So live in a way inside for those on the outside that they might see God and you might lead them to Jesus Christ. So let's unfold some of these practical principles of God for our lives. So I present Christ to others. That's what God wants for you today. If you are a Christ follower, you are to live in a way that leads other people to Jesus. You're a lead, you're to live in a way that leads other people to Jesus. Now, let me say this, it's, it's rudimentary. We understand it, but we don't, we don't like it sometimes. I can't lead other people to Jesus if I live in my holy huddle, right? So very practical, Paul doesn't say this, he just assumes we will get it. I can't lead people outside the faith to Jesus if I'm not living with people outside the faith. You say, well, where, where do I find those people? Do you grocery shop? Do you go to sporting events? If not, build an addition on your house. Go to the hardware store. Build a pool. Pay someone to dig it for you. And in that, show them Christ. We are to live in a way that others might see the beauty of the gospel. So this is how we live very simply. Radical grace leads to radical living. Verse one, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities to obey. Are there any disclaimers? Are there any small prints? Does he say, if you really want to, if you agree with the party that you elected? No, what does Paul say? Very simply, submit to rulers and authorities, why? Because at the very core of Christ's followers, we are people of submission. We are people of submission. And this is radical because the world tells you don't submit to others. If you don't like the person in authority, don't obey them. And Jesus tells us something entirely different. What does Jesus tell us? If you don't like the person in authority, then you should obey them. You should submit to them. See, we, to accept the invitation of salvation shows the world that Jesus is king and I am his servant. That Jesus is king and I am his servant. The Cretans, I love that name, uh, people who lived on the island of Crete, they were rebellious people by nature. On a small island since 67 BC, Rome had oppressed them and they were looking for any, any open door to rebel against the authorities. You, I think in America, we enjoy that too. We, we are rugged and individualistic, right? We want to rebel. I am my own person. Don't you tell me what to do. I mean, we pay our taxes. We, you know, we, we're, we're gritting our teeth when we're signing that that. Well, now it's electronic, but when you're signing the paperwork, sending your taxes in, I'm gonna give, the, I'm gonna give you these taxes, but I don't want to. 
I'm gonna let the IRS agent know that's getting my paper that I don't agree with him because I'm rebellious. And God says that is not what Christ's followers should look like. If you're a Democrat and Republicans are in control, you know what you do? You submit. If you're a Republican and the Democrats are leading, you know what you do? You obey. And you know if there's someone that's, that's leading you and they're ungodly, you know what you do? You submit and you obey. This is what God has called us to do. This is countercultural. And the reason it's so countercultural because God radically changes who we are. Now, what the scripture is not telling us is it's not allegiance. We, I cannot give my allegiance to any worldly ruler anymore because my allegiance is only to Jesus Christ. That's why Christians are such a threat to earthly rulers. You know why? Because they look at us and they say, I don't, we don't get you guys because you're not bowing down to us. You're submitting and you're obeying, but you're not bowing down. What's your problem? Don't you understand authority? And we say, we, we understand, but we have bowed our knee to King Jesus. And because of that, I can't give you my full allegiance. How can I give you what is only due my father in heaven? And so do not get wrapped up in the politics. God is not saying give the government your allegiance. He's saying you give them your submission and your obedience and the world will see that you're different and that you have hope that he is eternal. May we give Christ our allegiance and give the government our submission so that because others are watching. Secondly, how do we radically live differently? He says, submit to rulers, authorities and to obey them and to be ready, to be ready for what? For every good work. We need in our lives a readiness for the kingdom of God. Who woke up today an hour early and said, Lord, I don't know what you're gonna do, but I'm ready. I wanna be ready for good works. The great sadness, I believe, that we grieve the Holy Spirit because many times God has wanted to use you and use me and we have not been ready. We have not spiritually prepared ourselves. And you know who God uses instead? The person who is ready. God will not force me to serve him. And the world needs to look at us and say, you're ready for the kingdom. You're ready for Christ. You're ready to serve him. And over and over again in scripture, God reminds us, if you're not ready, he's gonna use a donkey. And you know what? Sometimes the donkeys are more obedient than we are. If you're not ready, Jonah, we use a fish or a gourd or a vine or a bird. Are you ready for the kingdom? Here's the beauty of the gospel. God should not have to beg me to serve him. I should be waking up begging King Jesus. Jesus, how can I serve you today? What can I do to make a difference? How can I serve you in a way that others are watching and they will follow me and they will follow me to your kingdom and to your throne? Next Sunday, we have a wonderful chance to serve our community called Family Day. And we're not gonna beg you to serve because we have people that will. But if you, had not have, if you do not have an opportunity, we will have someone out in the lobby right after church. And if you wanna sign up to serve, I pray that we would be ready and willing. I pray in my life, I would never tell God, God, I've already paid my dues. 
because God's gonna tell me, well, Josh, I'm gonna pass over you right now because you're not ready. And that should grieve our hearts. People of God, be ready for what? Every good work. Wake up begging God, God, how can I serve you today? Be ready. He also says radically live different this way. Verse two, slander who? No one. Some of you are like, oh, I get to slander someone. I'm gonna slay them. No, slander no one. Avoid fighting. Be kind. Show gentleness to who? To everyone. You see, God wants us to, to supernaturally restrain ourselves that others might see the glory of God on our life. And this is what we're struggling with right now this morning. Some of you are thinking, there's no way that I could ever live like this. You're right. That's the point. We, this is not natural. When you curse me, you know what I want to do back at you? Curse you. And I might do that passively. I might subtweet you. I might just put like a nasty meme there behind you that you don't even know what I'm talking about. I might go on Facebook because you're not my friend and you can't see. I'm gonna blast you. But that's slander, that's a malice, that's anger. And that's what comes out naturally. But God wants us to live different and live in a way that is only possible by the Holy Spirit. Live in a way that is only possible. How do we submit to people who are ungodly? The Holy Spirit. How do we, how are we ready for every good work at all times? By the Holy Spirit. How do we bless those who curse us? The Holy Spirit. How do we avoid fighting people who are contentious? The Holy Spirit. How are we kind to those who are angry? The Holy Spirit. How can we show gentleness to grumpy people? The Holy Spirit. You see, God wants us to live in a way that is so radical that people would ask us, what is your problem? And we can say, here's my problem. God has lavishly poured forth his spirit upon me in a way that I will never be the same. You know what, you want my, you want my jacket? Take my shirt. You know what, you want me to walk a mile with you? Here, I'll go two. You know what, you wanna inconvenience me? Well, let me go further because my savior died for me that I might pour out myself for others. Are you radically living different? And the problem the world has with the people of God, they look at us and they say, there's no difference. If God is who you say he is, why aren't you living differently? We need to live in a way that people say, how did you get grace? How in the world? And we can say, I don't understand it. But it's grace, it's mercy, and God has lavishly poured forth in abundance his mercy upon my life. Are you radically living different? Are you radically living different? Well, before we get to big heads, Paul cuts us down to size. Let's look at verse three. Um, Don't forget who you were. Do not forget who you were. Verse three, for we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. Wow. 
and you thought you were having a bad day. Listen, listen to what God's word says. We too were once foolish. I've heard a pastor say one time that sin makes you stupid. We were blinded. We had no hope. We could not understand. We were disobedient, deceived by Satan, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, detesting one another. You see, it's not enough for us to understand that God saved the world. You have to get to a point in your life where you can say, God saved me. God saved me. So we reread that and we think, well, yeah, Matt, those foolish people, those disobedient rebels, how dare them? No, we have to say, God, this is me. God, this is my life. And because of this, you sent your son to die for me. You see, God wants us to hold up a mirror and look at our sin and confront who we are. And you know what happens when we do that? It gives in us a longing for new life. I don't wanna look like this anymore. We need to live differently. We need God to rescue us from the muck and the mire. Spurgeon says it this way, sin is a deliberate treason against the majesty of God, an assault upon his crown and an insult offered to his throne. You see, when you forget how far you've come, you forget as the old hymn says, that grace has brought me safe thus far. When you forget how far you've come, you forget that grace has brought you this far. And Paul is reminding us again, look, don't forget where you came from because then you forget how loving God is. So let's kind of unpack these words, foolishness. We were once foolish, mentally and morally depraved, lacking any sense or sensibility. Is that difficult enough for you? Let me read that again. This is who we were, mentally, morally deranged, lacking any sense or sensibility. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the gift the gift of life. Not only were we foolish, but we are what without Christ? Disobedient. What is disobedience? Self-centeredness, self-deceived, Satan-deceived rebellion. You and I without Christ are a two-year-old and a perpetual sinful temper tantrum. That's what sin is. For, for us, it's not the terrible twos. It's it, carried, it, it migrated to the terrible threes. That's our life without Christ. We are, we're, we are in a perpetual state of ungodly rebellion. It doesn't end there though. Not only deceived and foolish and disobedient, but we were enslaved to what? To various passions. Professing to be liberated and free, we were in bondage and slave to a cruel and never satisfied taskmaster, ourselves. And without Christ, you know what we do? We hunger and we thirst for more and more and more. When we, when we, get, when we get the life we think we want, then we, we add that, we add something else. We add other various passions in our life. Enslaved, we were maliced and people of envy. You see, these sins guarantee their own frustration and disappointment because do you know when envy ends? Never. 
Those who are envious are never satisfied. And this is the life in Christ. So let us reread this before we get to the good news. Because if you forget where you came from, you will not be thankful for God's grace. And I want us to read it together and read it instead of we, I. Instead of we, I. Okay, does that make sense? Verse three, for I was once foolish. I was disobedient. I was deceived. I was enslaved by various passions and pleasures. I was living in malice and envy. I was hateful, detesting one another. Wow. Wow. This is a life in sin. This is not just a life in sin. This is your life in sin. This is your life in sin. And this is the purpose of God's word to confront our sinfulness. Aaron Wood in Australia was riding his motorcycle one day, 50 miles an hour through a tunnel. And he looked up as he's going through the tunnel and he sees a mattress that has now flown off the back of a truck. And in that moment, he said, Lord, I know I'm about to die because I know that this is about to hit me in the face and kill me. But a strange thing happens to the mattress. The mattress was stuck under his front tire of his motorcycle and the mattress engulfed him and carried him to safety. And he landed on the street on the mattress. And he said in the police interview, he said, this has never happened to me in all my years of riding the motorcycle. I was like, you think, you think? The purpose of conviction in your life is to hit you in the face. That way when grace wraps you safely, you will understand and appreciate deeply God's good news in your life. And many of you don't know God's grace because you don't realize that your sin is deep, eternal rebellion against God. You need to see your life the way God sees your life. And I pray that that verse is waking you up, hitting you in the face. I pray that you are uncomfortable because you realize you are far from God right now. And when God hits you, then he can say, let me embrace you with the good news. What is this good news? Look at verse four. We are to radically live different, but do not forget to remember where you came from in your sin. Verse four, but when the kindness of God, our savior appeared for mankind. Yeah, oftentimes in scripture, there's no more sweeter word than the word, but. Than the word, but. That God sees your sin. He sees our rebellion, but. But what? Look at verse four again. But when the kindness of God, how does God meet our sin? Verse four, how does God meet your sin? He meets our sin with kindness. He does not ignore our sin. He attacks our sin. And the greatest act of kindness that God has ever poured forth upon us, he gave us our only son, which is his and now is ours if we believe that whoever might believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life because the son of God lived a perfect sinless life, a life that we could not live, 
a life that I was created to live, right? I was created to worship and walk according to God and died for me. A brutal, horrible, agonizing death. And you know what the Bible calls that? The brutality of the cross? You know what the Bible calls that here in verse four? Kindness. Because God in that act, this act when God's love appeared, this historical event, God offers now us in our sin, kindness if we believe. Oh, thank God for his kindness. And that if you will have faith right now to come to Jesus, you know how he meets you? With kindness. He meets you with kindness, but it keeps going. Look at verse five. When the love of God appeared through kindness, verse five, he saved us. Why? Not by works. Not by works that we have done, but according to his mercy. You see, on the best day, on your best day, you have nothing to offer God. So you can pick the day. Pick the day where you just knock it out of the park. They say, God, this is the day that I would choose for righteousness. I hit a grand slam. God would say, no, you have done nothing for me. No one is good except God. And the difficult truth of that leads us to the beautiful truth that God has not saved me because of me. God has saved me because of his son. Not by righteous things we have done, but why? But according to mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. See, we often ask the question, God, how could you send anyone to hell? How could a loving God send anyone to hell? That's a question that sinful, foolish people ask. You know what we should be asking? God, how could a loving, righteous father invite anyone into heaven that have lived in rebellion? That's the question. The question is, God, why would you even offer me heaven? Because God, I deserve hell. It's not, even a, it's not even a question. Like God doesn't deliberate, hmm, Josh, you really, you did well today. Maybe heaven is gonna open up for you. Like even on my best day, it's not even a question. My best day is rebellion against God, but he is merciful. He's merciful and he has done what in verse five? He has washed us by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You see, God does not forget your sins. You, we don't come to, come to Christ and God's like, hmm, did Josh sin? I don't remember that. No, he forgives our sin and he washes us and he purifies us. That is greater than forgetfulness. The Bible says that he cast our sins away as far as the East is from the West. God doesn't cause himself to be blind to our sin. He attacks our sin and he washes our sin. And that's why he calls us to have a public declaration of our faith. That's the beautiful picture of baptism that I have been washed by the water of regeneration that is only found in the Holy Spirit. And the reason God calls me to a public declaration of my faith, because one day Jesus will stand before his heavenly father and he will declare publicly that he has washed me and he has purified me. And there are many here that have never made that public bold declaration. God is calling you to do that. 
He is calling you to be baptized to show the world that he has washed you. Because one day Jesus will stand before you and publicly declare your righteousness. Not privately, not in secret, but publicly if you have faith. What are you waiting for? He has not only washed us and regenerated us. Look at verse six. He has poured forth his spirit on us. How? Abundantly. Some verses say, some versions say lavishly. What a beautiful picture of God's grace so that we in verse seven have been justified by his grace. You see, justification is being made right. And, ju and justification is not something that you are made to become. Justification is declared. So you don't work your way into justification. You don't work and then God says, okay, now you are right. No, in the cross of Jesus Christ, God says, you believe you are fully righteous. Think about that for a second. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ in that moment, God has fully and eternally declared us righteous. He has justified us by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know why that gives us hope? Because when I sin, you know what God says about me? Josh, you are justified and you are righteous because of what Jesus has done. And we say, but God, you know I've sinned. And he says, I knew it before you did it. And I put all of your sins on my son, Jesus. We are called to live in freedom. Those who are once enslaved have found freedom in Christ. So now I don't work to earn God's favor. I work because he has empowered me to serve him. So I work from the spirit, not for the spirit. And what a beautiful truth that is. So let's go back to the broken vending machine as we wrap up. God's word and Jesus Christ say that we are all broken and out of order. There's not a person here that has been made right by themselves. Not a person, not a person on this stage, not a person that's ever stood behind this pulpit. There is not a person that is in order from themselves. And you know why that gives me good news? Because we're all in the same boat. I understand the boat is sinking, but at least we're in the same boat. And God is telling us right now, quit trying to feed what is broken. Quit, quit acting as if you can come to church and you keep, you keep hitting A3. You say, Lord, if I just work harder, I know that I'll get righteousness out of the vending machine. And God says, no, you can't earn it. Well, God, if I, just, if I just sing with my full heart, God, if I just worship you with all of my being, then I will be made righteous. And God is saying, no, you still get nothing because you're broken. You're out of order. And if that's you today, I want you to know that God is asking you to stop and rest knowing that Jesus Christ has paid for what you could never pay for and to live a life that you cannot live. Will you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? The one who died for you. Look, look at verse four. The one that if you today will come to the throne of God, he will meet you with 
kindness. And there are many here today and many in our world that they will not come to Jesus because they're scared that he's gonna give them what they deserve and meet them with holy wrath. Because we told them, you better make a decision right now or hell is going to rain down upon your head. I want you to know that hell is real and God will not send you there, but you are choosing it. You're choosing, you are living in rebellion and sin. And God says, if you will turn to him today, he will meet you in kindness and he will forgive you of your sin and he will justify you and he will pour forth his spirit upon you abundantly. Would you run to the savior today? Would you run to him? The Bible says this, that there is only one name under heaven by which men can be saved. The name of Christ Jesus. It is not by your works. It is not by your nice suit, by your ties, by your offerings, by your good deeds, the things that you say. He has justified us by his mercy and his mercy alone. Would you trust him today? Maybe you're here and you think, well, I've done that. Look at your life. If, you, if there is no difference in your life from the day that you put your faith in Christ till now, you do not know him. You do not know him. Because if God has given me new life, if he has shaped my heart, if he has forgiven me of my sin, it will bleed through every pore that I have. And the danger of church people is that we forget where we came from and we'll play the church game and we're gonna get to heaven one day and Jesus is gonna say to us, depart from me because I never knew you. And we're gonna say, Jesus, but I knew you. And he's gonna say, that's not the question you should ask. The question you have to ask this morning is not do you know Jesus, but does he know you? Have you truly looked at your life as God does and say, God, I am a sinner. I am disobedient. I am rebellious. I am enslaved. I am ungodly. I am sinful and I deserve eternal damnation. And that's not even for my whole life, that's today. But God, today I trust in your promise that if I come to you, you will meet me with kindness and you will make me righteous because of your son, Jesus Christ. Do you know him and him alone? And may we rise up and say, God, we are ready for good works. God, no longer does someone have to beg me to serve you. God, I'm gonna wake up right now. I'm gonna come to this altar and I'm gonna beg you, God. God, how can I serve? How can I live? That I would live radically on the outside because your radical grace has changed me on the inside. Church, let's pray together.